Hello and welcome to Mentality Meets, conversations that explore mental health stories and strategies to help leaders like you change the culture of mental health in your workplace. I'm Peter Larkham, I'm a mental health instructor and expert and a host for today. Now today we're talking with writer and comedian Juliet Burton. So Juliet has a history of mental health conditions, having been diagnosed with OCD, anxiety disorder, depression, bipolar disorder, complex post-traumatic stress disorder, separation anxiety disorder, anorexia, bulimia, and binge eating disorder. And in this session, Juliet reminds us to love the person and hate the illness and how important prevention is, especially for eating disorders. So this year, Mentality Meets is part of a new mental health initiative called Mindshift Forum 2021. The idea is to put into practice mental health habits and attitudes. So Juliet speaks about maintaining our buoyancy and how we're all struggling to stay afloat. And Mindshift Forum is all about walking the talk of mental health to help us live a better 2021. This month's challenge is to be present with those around you. Turn off your devices and engage. And my personal challenge is tuning back into my kids after work and remembering that I'm a dad as well. So Mindshift Forum 2021 also includes a monthly live video with me. And this month is Mentality Meets. Next month, we'll be doing a live discussion and question answer session called Peter Larkham Live. Yes, that does mean our schedule has changed for Mentality Meets this year, mostly to keep it fresh and enable me to manage the process a little bit better. So if you want to get access to the monthly challenge emails, as well as the live Mentality Meets sessions and Peter Larkham live sessions, then you can sign up from my website. It's all completely free. Just go to peterlarkham.com to sign up. You can also check out all we have to offer at peterlarkham.com. Now, let's not wait any longer. Here's my conversation with Juliet Burton as we talk openly and honestly about all things mental health. Twiggy uh, was getting a bit rambunctious on my lap, so she's now on my bed. She's not even mine. I just I've been dog sitting um, during lockdown because I normally work as a comedian, uh, and uh, as most of you will know, uh, comedy has taken a bit of a brunt um, of uh, the last year. So uh, dog sitting has been something I've been doing as well as virtual gigs and ch- chatting to lovely people like Peter. So if there are any cries or if you need to engage with the dog, please feel free to do so. For everyone else, I have a small child uh, who is downstairs at the moment uh, watching TV. We'll probably stay there to be fair, but he does have a tendency of crashing in so if that happens you know i'm going to be dealing with my kids Juliet's going to be dealing with her kid and i just hope that we'll get some kind of conversation going on as we go through this <laughs> we will so let's take a moment and start because i want to talk about first and foremost the the news that happened this week about nikki and the battle that i know you've had in the conversation around um, eating disorders and there's a couple of things that have been on my mind, Juliet, as I've been preparing for this session, which is um, eating disorders has is, is never been something that I've struggled with. Um, probably the other side of things for me. But also there's something that I read in your in your bio when we were kind of just chatting about putting this together about this constant fight for positive mental health. Now, as someone who hasn't really ever experienced mental health illnesses or issues, the context of fighting for positive mental health on a daily basis, I find that 
Fascinating. So I suppose kind of questions that I have for you, a question for the audience. Have you ever had to fight for your positive mental health? Question for the audience. But also, Juliet, in the context of your mental health journey, I suppose, and the, the issues that you've had throughout your life, do you know when that all started for you? Uh, yes, I mean, there's a lot to unpack in what you just said. Perhaps it's good for the audience that I just um, perhaps uh, give a brief history of, of my mental health experience so that they can get up to context, really. Um, so I was uh, diagnosed with, um, my first diagnosis was anorexia when I was 14. Uh, sorry, Twiggy, I know it's not nice to talk about, but um, it is important to talk about. You can feel uncomfortable about it, Twiggy. Um, but I was diagnosed with anorexia when I was 14. Um, I uh, was in and out of hospital um, throughout my teenage years, for anorexia. I was sectioned under the Mental Health Act when I was 17. So I spent my 18th birthday um, in a psychiatric ward and uh, I'm holding back. I've got so many jokes about doing about being in a psychiatric ward over uh, my 18th birthday. But um, because this is not a comedy show, we're going to stick to the conversation rather than the comedy. I'm happy um, for comedy. Anyone... <laughs> if you want to find any comedy, just go for it. Hey, if anyone wants to watch any of my comedy shows, then uh, I've got a lot of uh, jokes about uh, my experience of mental health um, because I think that laughter breaks tension and helps people feel less alone and increases understanding. Um, and some people still feel quite tense when we're talking about uh, mental illness. So anyway, the um, when I was 17, uh, that was when, when I was sectioned. When I was 19, I went from, uh, I, I struggled with binge eating disorder. Um, so it's a very suddenly um, shifted to the other way. So uh, I don't want to mention weight weights uh, or measurements um, but just for some context in terms of sizes I went from a UK size 4 to a UK size 20 in around six months and I doubled my body weight in about three months um, so binge eating disorder is not as as well known as other eating disorders and it's not glamorized and it's very misunderstood um, but it was actually the theme of eating disorders awareness week this year um, I then spent most of my uh, 20s and 30s being bulimic um, and uh, I'm very comfortable and confident talking about all of that. However, I've also been diagnosed with um, uh, anxiety disorder, bipolar disorder, body dysmorphic disorder, uh, depression, um, uh, paranoia, agoraphobia, separation anxiety disorder. I've had experience of hallucinations when I was sectioned for anorexia. I, 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 the stress of being sectioned caused uh, me to have psychotic hallucinations, both audible, audible and visual. Uh, and I also have been most recently diagnosed with complex post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, so that is underlying a lot of my other conditions I now understand. Um, I've been in therapy for about 20 years uh, and uh, I've been an inpatient for mental illness five times. I'm what psychiatrists might call a bit much. Uh, so uh, there you go. That's one. And I'll probably pepper that out throughout the, throughout the conversation some more uh, jokes as well, because I do find it helps. Um, to answer the question about fighting my mental illness, though, I'm currently I'm fighting the urge to give Twiggy a little cuddle because you're just I love you, but you are wriggling a lot. Thank you, Twiggy. Um, so I don't feel like I fight so much as that I do still deal with some of some of my mental illnesses were. Um, <laughs> thank you, Twiggy. Uh, some of my mental illnesses were uh, were temporary as in like they they were short term like we all have mental health just like we all have physical health thank you twiggy i'm trying to do some activism work can you thank you thank you um 
we, we all have mental health just like we all have physical health and some some of us have short-term physical health illnesses uh, and uh, some of us have long-term physical health illnesses just the same in mental health you can have short-term mental illness and you can have long-term mental illness some of my illnesses like paranoia agoraphobia um they I, i've now thanks to therapy i've uh, i've recovered from fully they sometimes flare up a little bit my obsessive compulsive disorder takes a bit more work um and uh, the, but other day, other things that I live with on a day to day basis include um, all of my eating disorders, binge eating disorder, um, bulimia and uh, anorexia are still talking to me at every meal in my mind. Um, uh, Twiggy's now calmed down. She just wanted some attention for a little while whilst I was trying to give them all of my history. Um, and uh, I think the dog sensed some uh, agitation. So there you go. That's what was going on. Um, and uh, I also deal with my complex post-traumatic stress disorder, which I now am dealing with a lot more in therapy. So although it's not a, I used to think it was a fight. I used to t- use the word uh, fight or battling with my mental health and being like a mental health warrior. But recently, um, in the last couple of years, I've started to think about it more like my mental illnesses are, they're not to be feared. They're actually trying to protect me. They only came into existence because I was trying to uh, to manage um, extreme emotional and mental distress. And that's the only reason why they they came into manifestation, um, really. So um, they're trying to rescue me from the extremities of these emotions that I was feeling. They were trying to um, help me manage them. Uh, they're just not perhaps in a healthy way. They were perhaps manage, helping me manage them in an unhealthy way that became disordered. Um, but they still were trying to protect me, you know, um, and to answer your question about when I uh, first started struggling with my mental health, um, actually, it was much earlier than my first diagnosis. Although my first diagnosis was anorexia, um, I um, are now having looked back in therapy, my first time I struggled with mental illness was probably around about the age of seven or eight. So that's when I first struggled with food. Um, I was uh, I was gaining a lot of weight very quickly when I was a child between the age of eight and 10. Um, and I was taken to hospital regularly, not for the mental health aspect of it, but but from for the um, for the physical um, the rapid weight gain and was told that weight loss was the way forward and um, that became a part of my formative years. Um, I also I exhibited what I now understand to be symptoms of obsessive compulsive disorder, so ritualistic behaviour, uh, anxiety disorder, um, panic attacks, um, depression, uh, and n- what I now understand to be complex post-traumatic stress disorder, which is um, something that has caused a lot of people to be misdiagnosed. I was misdiagnosed with uh, borderline personality disorder, which I now understand was actually CPTSD misdiagnosed. Um, and at the moment, I'm at this point where I've, I've been saying for years that I've got bipolar disorder because my GP diagnosed me with it. But I'm now wondering if that might also be a misdiagnosis because of what I'm learning about CPTSD. Um, so actually, from around the age of seven or eight was when I first displayed symptoms of um, mental health distress that then became diagnosed uh, later on in my teens. Um, so, yes, uh that's a lot of information for your wonderful audience to to listen to, um, and I and and I also am aware that a lot of that might have been overtaken by Twiggy doing some crying, and she's now sleeping on my lap like like no like nothing's wrong. I just love the fact that kind of there was so much attention for for Twiggy. She's like, no, focus on me, um, <laughs> and I think this is this is now becoming a lot more understood. I think, and I don't want to use the word common, but understood is that. Mental health isn't just one diagnosis very often. It's a whole heap of stuff 
that's going on. Would you say yes or? I often think of mine, at least, because I can only speak from my experience. I can't, I'm not a GP and I wouldn't want to diagnose anyone else. Um, but from my experience, what I what I realise now is that I think of it as like a tree because I've got multiple diagnoses. I see it as the CPTSD, so my complex post-traumatic stress disorder is like the roots of the tree. Um, then my bipolar disorder, um, if that is still a proper diagnosis, is the trunk. Uh, then the two main boughs of the tree would be anxiety disorder and depression. And then all my other diagnoses, including all of my eating disorders, all of my um, obsessive compulsive disorder um, and, and uh, agoraphobia, paranoia, all of those would be like the, the branches coming off of those two main boughs so that all of those conditions were trying to help me manage the extreme anxiety depression feelings that came out of bipolar that then were all linked to these um experiences in childhood during my formative years that are part of my complex post-traumatic stress disorder wow. um, so that's that's how i i've made sense of it but I'm an I'm an, a comedian. I'm not a I'm and a writer. I'm not a GP. I'm sure that GPs would say that's absolute twaddle. I didn't check with you whether I can swear or not, Peter. Um, I would encourage not. But if it slips out, you know, it slips out. It's In that case, no, 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 no. I prefer not swearing because I can get very creative with some <laughs> non-swear words. Twaddle was your first one, guys. I, I'm liking it. Uh, Alison says comedy is always welcome and laughter aids learning. And Tanya says, yes, uh, feel every day is a fight for mental health. Personally, you've been through quite a lot. Um, had consciously fight to keep my head above the water. And I, I like that analogy as well about kind of the buoyancy and that sometimes, yes, we're able to, to kind of just be buoyant. And other times we, we sink a little bit. I like it too. There's um, a lovely thing in Jungian uh, dream analysis of thinking that um, water, it represents emotions. So if you're dreaming a lot about drowning or struggling to swim, struggling to get a breath in air, whatever type of type of water it is that you dream of um, in Jungian psychology or, or dream interpretation, um, the idea is that the water represents your emotions. So um, I think that's good. Nice. Okay. Uh, I, I'm loving this because there's so much good stuff that's coming out through this matt says uh, having poor mental health can feel like a battle a lot of the time which is extremely tiring um if you don't accept it um take it on as part of who you are um and this is where you're kind of fighting against this mental health journey and i think that's what i'm kind of hearing with your your tree analogy is that actually a lot of the time our mental health manifests itself. And that's the word that you used about kind of manifesting and coming to the forefront because it's trying to help us understand, explore, protect, you know, all these positive things. It is. A, it, it is. It can be seen as positive, but it's also I understand what everyone's saying of that. that it is an effort. It's a massive effort to have to manage mental health. If you're if you've got diagnosed illnesses and that they are a part of your everyday lives believe me it is so much hard work and I've got a lot of comedy material about just how much hard work I am um for example my name is Juliet spelt as like Juliet like in in uh, in Shakespeare and uh, but it's spelt the French way like in French uh so uh, I'm like Shakespeare and French two GCSEs all rolled into one what I'm trying to say is I am a lot of hard work um and I am a lot of hard work for myself like that's <laughs> I I know that my who I am who I am because of and in spite of my mental illnesses I've learned a lot from them and I've learned a lot about how strong I am uh, and how resilient I can be and how willing I need to be to learn from um, those illnesses whenever they come up and it is it is really difficult and it has caused a lot of 
stress in my life that I, I, I hadn't, um, I perhaps wouldn't have experienced otherwise, but it is a part of who I am. And, uh, and I wouldn't swap it for anything because it's also, um, a lot of people see mental illnesses as a label or any, um, disability as a label. And I've, uh, done a show um, recently about labels. And I think that when we think of labels, we only see it as a two dimensional idea, whereas actually it's more like a box. It's more like a, a cube. So we forget to turn it around and go, right, well, if you've got that label, then it might also mean that you are other things because of that. So if you're labeled as an optimist, well, that means that you're hardworking, you're a survivor, um, and you've got a lot of fortitude. You know, if you're labeled as um, as having as being an introvert, then well, that might mean that you are very thoughtful and you get your energy from being alone. Um, and if you're labeled with having mental illness, then if you turn that box around, that will mean hopefully a lot of people with mental illness are very empathetic because they've had to have a deeper understanding of of what it means to be, feel really alone. Uh, you might also uh, be very resilient and you might also be really good in bed. I believe that that was <laughs> what I learned. That's something I've learned. All of us people with mental illness, we're all really, we're really great in bed. <laughs> Amazing, I think. I don't know, um, <laughs> but I love I love that kind of uh, three dimensional box process, and that actually there's more going on, isn't there? We're, we're having a conversation right now on a two dimensional Zoom chat, but uh, we are living in a world at the moment that feels very two dimensional. We've got Instagram in boxes that we're captioning with a little hashtag self love, hashtag self care, and actually there's so much more to us. Even my my posters, you can see I've strategically put my posters from some of my previous shows behind me. Those posters are two-dimensional pictures and you have to come along to see the show to get the three-dimensional real version of me. Uh, and actually, if you want the real version of me, then take me for a drink in the bar after the show because then you'll get the proper me. <laughs> <laughs> so coming back to the chat bar, uh, Karen says, I manage my own mental well-being uh, and support in supporting family members with anxiety uh, and now as a mental health first aider through work. Um, and the question that she's always come wants to, uh, in these sessions is, how how do we help and support other people to the best of our ability you know and i think that's a a real narrative that has been pulled out so much more during this pandemic process as people are coming back into the workplace how how do we actually get the conversations going so as we know that you've struggled but also so as we know how to best support you and i think that's a conversation that we still haven't really realized how complex and multifaceted that process is i mean the question is is a great one and as you say i've it's been a question that's been posed pretty much at almost every event that i've ever spoken at and i've been um talk, doing comedy about mental health for about 10 years now about my mental my mental health history um and i've been touring in in australia new zealand america and the uk and it's it's the most common thing that gets asked is people want to help because people are, are empathetic and they and we want to help each other get through this and not see people be as alone as we know that they might be feeling that's my main reason that I love doing comedy is I don't want anyone to feel as alone as I did when I was struggling with my mental illnesses and you know to the point of nearly dying from them um my uh and comedy is a place that actually I feel like it unites everybody if you're sitting in a room full of complete strangers and all of them are laughing at the same joke as you well it's like being in a church where you don't have to pledge allegiance to somebody uh beyond yourself it's you're 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 finding the light in the darkness and that that for me is what comedy is and writing comedy also helps me find light in my dark thoughts you know it's it's finding that moment to just laugh at the absurdity of it all 
all in. It's such a release and a relief. Um, but being able to help each other, yeah, I would love it if there were a textbook. I, I'm, I will try my best to come up with a, a list of do's and don'ts. However, the best, best thing, if there's one thing that you can do to help people with mental illness or help anybody else is compassion. Just treating each other with as much compassion as you possibly can um, and patience. Um, I think anything that's linked to compassion, like patience, empathy, um, giving them your time. Um, but I think also good boundaries, though, as well. Like I've actually found that the best, the best, um, especially the workplace um, uh, in colleagues that I've got, people who give me good boundaries and talk to me rather than to the illness, um, because honestly, having mental illness does not give you an excuse to be a miserable git. And sometimes I can be a miserable git and it's nothing to do with my mental illnesses. It's just me being miserable. Uh, and it's nice for people to, to talk directly to me rather than to anything that might be between me and them as a buffer, you know? We'll get back to our interview in just a second. Mental ill health costs UK employers around £1,700 per team member each year. That's a staggering £45 billion every year. Despite a general awareness that mental health is more of a problem than ever, most people have no idea what to do. This is where we can help. Mentality is a one-hour video course equipping your staff to spot the signs of poor mental health and take action. Invest in your people. From the cleaner to the CEO, because every person, whoever they are, can be affected. And now here's the second half of our interview. Actually, do you know what? Scrap all of that. The best way to help somebody with mental illness is get them a ticket to one of my shows. There you go. <laughs> Done. And we've advertised a, a show. Do it. Oh, hang on. When is the next show? Bring, bring that up. Well, well, now that we're actually getting, I'm getting some real life bookings. Thank goodness. Oh my goodness, in, on an actual stage. <laughs> um, so we've got a, a one gig that's in London on the 22nd of July at the Museum of Comedy, um, uh, which is not a museum. It's, I mean, they have artefacts there, but it is, uh, it is a, a live venue um, that is already on sale um, and it's going to be filmed for Next Up Comedy. Um, you can also see me, I, I believe we've got some dates in Guildford in July and Bedford in July in very well ventilated venues. Um, and uh, we don't yet know whether we're going to be socially distanced or not, but Either way, it's I'm going to bring I'm going to bring so much laughter to the room that we're going to fill the room with laughter, no matter whether how many people are in there. But I'd love the opportunity to see some of your listeners uh, there um, and be able to have a chat in the bar afterwards and get to know each other. And we've also got some dates in September that are about to be confirmed um, again in London. I'd love to be doing more outside of London. We might be doing Edinburgh this year, maybe maybe for a short run. Um, sold out at Edinburgh four years in a row, which I love, but but it's it costs a lot and. We We've had our um, comedy industry, all my incomes just unfortunately been uh, massively impacted by the pandemic. Um, but if anyone wants to get to know any of the latest dates of my, my shows, then you can find me on all the social media. It's Juliet with two T's and an E. Remember, French, Shakespeare, two GCSEs. Uh, and um, there's Juliet Burton on Twitter, uh, Juliet Burton writer performer on Facebook, Juliet underscore Burton on Instagram. And if you want to sign up for my mailing list, then uh, it's at my website, julietburton.co.uk. Um, also, there's a Patreon, which is patreon.com forward slash Juliet Burton, where you get behind the scenes stuff. And we've got a lovely little community there it's um it's really really great um but yes i'm very much I, I was in the middle of my second uk tour when the first lockdown happened and um my last gig before the first lockdown was at the lowry in uh, salford and 
I'd done Harrogate and I'd done um, Oxford as well. And then we had all these like 10 other dates ready and waiting for me on this tour. And it just all, it just all got, got cancelled. And unfortunately um, for me doing comedy and having, having work, I also do mental health training in the workplace as well, but having a job, having meaning to my life, getting out, gives me a reason to get out of bed and it gives me a reason to put in that hard work to manage my mental wellness um, so that I can be of use to my audiences because we've got this community that I, I mean nothing without my audiences. If I'm, if I'm just standing alone in a dark room on a stage saying some jokes, that that's just, that's going back to the bad days of my mental health so uh, that means nothing having the audience there means everything because it's a conversation with an audience um and yeah having the the other thing about um having a job that that i that really gives me meaning is for me the opposite of depression isn't happiness the opposite of depression is purpose so having my purpose having a reason to talk to you today um having reason to do these shows in july i i can't wait to get back and connected with audiences in this wonderful community um, and and hearing their stories as well because we we are all so different but also so similar with our with our mental health struggles. Yes, no, brilliant. Oh, uh, so time. Let's kind of crack on um, because I want to kind of go back to your teenage world. You know, when all of this was kicking off and you were trying to understand yourself and go through adolescence and all of that. What what support, I want to say, if any, did you get during that time through friends, through family members, through teachers, through youth workers, through the community that you were a part of? Was there help and support? Was there understanding? Because, I mean, we're talking a few years ago. Uh, I don't want to kind of give anything away, but let's go for 400 years ago um, when you were that a teenager. Is, that is accurate. That's exactly it. When... The conversation of mental health was almost non-existent, let's say. I mean, I've been a mental health trainer for 10 years. I've been in youth work for 20 years. And I know that the mental health support and provision back then is nothing compared to what it is now. And how did you find help and support? Was it purely through the medication process and the doctors and the... How did it work for you? I'll try to keep it brief because it is a very complicated um, story. But um, the to keep it as simple as possible, you, you asked about my teenage years um, briefly. With my with my, I said I, I struggled with mental illness um, symptoms from about the age of seven or eight. At that time, um, I remember that uh, I, my my mother has told me that my my GP suggested that maybe I should see a child psychologist. But at the time, it was a very very different time. Um, it was uh, the early nineties and. Um, the attitude was, well, it could also just be a phase and she'll probably get through it and it's fine. And, and it was a phase in as much that each of those illnesses that I, uh, weren't diagnosed and we didn't kind of grapple with and wrestle with at that time, they shape shifted, um, is, that's how I feel about them. They shape, they're, they're a shape shifter and they, uh, some of them became suppressed. So the anxiety disorder and the obsessive compulsive disorder then, fed into pun intended my issues with eating disorders that's overeating at such a young age and then that became anorexia um a few years later so um diagnosed with anorexia at 14 now when i was first diagnosed uh, and throughout my teenage years in the uh, so that was first diagnosis was the end of the 90s and then into the early 2000s and again just as a side note for myself 
I'm aware that I, I'm trying to be very ambiguous about my age, but honestly, why? Ageism is another thing that we need to really struggle with because, like, honestly, youth isn't the thing that we should be chasing. Wisdom and empathy comes with age, and actually those are the things that I'd like to hold on to the most. So um, I, I'm in my mid-30s. Um, so I, when I first was diagnosed, um, a lot of people said the classic things like it's attention seeking. She's doing it all. For the- Think of your mother. Why are you doing this to your mother? As if I love my mum. Of course, I wouldn't. I, why would I be struggling with illnesses with in order to hurt anybody? That isn't the point. It felt so isolating and so I felt so ashamed. And and shame is so attached to so many of these illnesses that um, that. I've mentioned that I've been diagnosed with, especially the um, bulimia and uh, CPTSD, um, depression, shame is hugely there and ever present. So back then it was that sort of attitude. Um, the diagnosis came from um, from a GP um, and I then was uh, taken to see a psychiatrist every week um, at a, uh, a hospital in Northamptonshire. And then I was uh, I was uh, hospitalized voluntarily there. And at that point, my school said, and this was my in my GCSE year, uh, they invited me to not return. Um, I was straight A student. I was destined, apparently, I was expected. The pressure was that I was expected to go to Oxbridge. Um, that's why I have this voice. I come from Cambridgeshire. I'd sound incredibly posh and uh, privileged. Um, but it turns out that that's just because I learned to speak uh, at, at, up to a point that I was then invited to not return to that world. So um, I, my, my, my school said that um, my, uh, I was having a bad, bad effect on the other girls because of my mental illnesses. Um, which again just added to this idea of well, if 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 I'm alone with these illnesses, then I may as well stay alone with these illnesses because the illnesses aren't going anywhere. The illnesses will always be there for me. Um, the thing that could could have helped a lot, and we now are aware of more than ever, thanks to some research, that stability and security and consistency and having a good support network it gives a better chance of. Um, of long-term recovery and early intervention also gives a better chance of long-term recovery specifically for eating disorders more than anything else. Um, so I, I, in my, uh, the year after I was diagnosed, the year after, no, two years after I was diagnosed, a year and a half after I was diagnosed with anorexia, um, I, I had this year where I was, I was given loads of labels from the GP, including bipolar disorder, anxiety disorder, um, depression, uh, um, obsessive compulsive disorder, uh, and at that time I was medicated, um, and I was one of the first meds I was ever put on aged 16 was Prozac, which is now not allowed. You're not allowed to be given that dose of Prozac until you're uh, over the age of 24. Um, and it wasn't a good experience for me. I have had good experiences on, on medications since then. Uh, I, I haven't been on medication for a while now. Um, but I, I do think that meds can be, uh, can be an important part of an ongoing journey of recovery. Um, basically what I'm trying to say is in my teens, there was so much, so much misunderstanding, um, let alone the hallucinations and being sectioned. Um, Very few, I lost a lot of friends. Um, I think a lot of friends were very scared by what I was going through. Um, And the few friends who really stayed in touch uh, were the ones who I think they saw me and they didn't see me struggling with binge eating disorder. They didn't see the skeletal me who was struggling with anorexia. They saw how scared and alone and frightened I was inside. 
Um, my mother was an angel and did um, lots of reading um, because I was about to say this was before the the internet. It wasn't before the internet. I'm not quite that old, but um, my um, my mother still doesn't go on, online. She doesn't have a computer, so uh, she did lots of reading about the diagnosis I was being given, which means that at the very least she was aware of what I was going through and had some kind of language to talk to me about it. Um, so I, I'm forever grateful to her for that. Um, and yeah, just in and out of hospitals really. Um, and it wasn't until I found, uh, nowadays I've got an incredible, um, support network of wonderful friends who are much more, uh, either mental health eloquent themselves with their own experiences or mental health eloquent because of learning from others or open-minded enough to be willing to ask me questions and willing to discover with me what it is I deal with on a day-to-day basis. Um, and thanks to the comedy community as well, I've met so obviously so many people in the comedy community have problems with their mental health. Um, and also being a mental health speaker, I've I've got so many incredible mental health speaker friends who, they're, they're a found family. Um, and I absolutely adore every single one of them. Um, and I feel much more, much more understood and I, I, I'm not as alone anymore. I know, I know I've got a family that I can, I can turn to. I said I was going to be brief, didn't I? <laughs> uh, it doesn't need to be though, because it's, it's so right and it's so true. And um, I don't know about anyone else, but I'm loving what you're sharing with us because coming, coming to this conversation as a mental health trainer, um, we talk about kind of what recovery is with mental health and that recovery isn't, diagnosis free and recovery isn't symptom free but it is about being able to access more good days than bad now saying that it's a very easy thing to say because from what i'm hearing is that there is this constant ebbing and flowing in the context of how good your days are um on a day by day moment by moment basis by the sound of it and there are different times when it's much more complex and there's a lot more other issues and so I want to ask you do you do you recall a day is there a day in the day when you're like ah I can I know I'm accessing more good days than bad days now I'm in a better place than I was before or does it all merge it's a really good question. I often get asked, like I used, I used to get asked a lot, when did you get better? Um, and I'm like, no, I'm, I'm not better. That's not, that's not the reality of the situation. Um, some people, uh, someone recently said to me, um, oh, when, when did you, when were you cured of your mental illnesses? And I was like, the fact that I think that cured mental illness sounds delicious probably means I'm still not cured of my eating disorders. Um, I, I think it's a really good question because I think you phrased it slightly differently in a way that is more realistic, which is, is there a day when I realised that I'm having more good days than bad days? Although absolutes are difficult to, they're not necessarily nice to use either because good and bad, you know, it, it, there's so much we could talk about with that. I think, I think it was when I was performing, when I started touring uh, with my comedy shows and I, and I remember thinking, whatever I go through, however difficult, whatever I've been through, however difficult it is, if if there's a way that I can find to communicate to others what the reality of that is like without needing any pity, without needing any specific reaction other than that they they understand a bit more, therefore might understand themselves a bit better or other people around them a bit better, then then that that kind of freed me a little bit more. Um, 
lockdown's been hard, um, but it has meant because uh, because I've had to deal spend a lot of time on my own without audiences, and it turns out that uh, I'm uh, yeah, I, as I said at the beginning, I am very hard work. If I'm if I'm on my own with me, gosh, it's just me doing the hard work. Um, but there was there's also something that I thought was quite interesting that I, I picked up a while ago, which was um, the idea of recovery. Like you said there, like people think maybe there might be a magic wand of a magic moment. Um, I think if you imagine a grid, so like that kind of grid, um, people sort of imagine they want recovery. Thank you, Twiggy, for your help. We want recovery to go sort of straight up from like the darkest moments, uh, which were the darkest moments down there. I'm sorry for anyone listening on the podcast. You're going to have to watch on the on the YouTube to understand this. Um, we expect it to be a, a straight line up towards healthy, happy recovery. Um, but actually, uh, it's real recovery is a bit more like, like, like that. That's, that's real recovery. Um, we, we go all over the place and we might, we might veer off towards having a really bad day one day. We might have a slightly better day. Uh, and then we might go straight back down again. Um, these different quadrants, I believe they're, uh, conscious, conscious, hang on, unconscious, uh, incapability, conscious capability, uh, sorry, unconscious. Let me start that again. <laughs> Un- unconscious incapability. So not knowing that you're that you can't do something, then conscious uh, incapability. So being aware that you you don't know how to do something, then moving into conscious um, conscious capability. So you're aware that you are learning how to do something, and actually, oh, I now I see I'm doing this. And then the final stage is unconscious capability. And that's where everyone expects you just going straight from, I've got no idea what I'm doing to, uh, and I don't even know that I don't know what I'm doing to, oh, I, I now don't know how great I'm doing. You know, actually we have to go through all of those other stages where we're, we become aware of how un, unsure and we are. Uh, and then we become aware of how to do it differently. And then gradually with a lot of lot of hard work and practice nearly swore there um a lot of hard work and practice uh we get better and better at at learning how to manage this um but that it's it's never going to be a a straight line and it's and everything's fixed um the best thing that's really helped me has been actually living with people who've been willing to work with me on it um and that's that's been incredible And, and loving me for it even if i even even when i have dark days and still still loving me and still caring What a great interview. Now, don't forget to link up with Juliet and attend one of her live gigs. Also, don't forget to reach out if you are struggling. Don't forget those random acts of kindness that can have such a positive impact on those around us. Now, you can also find out more and connect with Juliet Burton further. So please go to speakerscollective.org. And next time, in two months time in June, we'll be talking with Finley Games. So Finley is a transgender gay man with a passion for creating honest content and inspiring others to be their authentic selves. Finley began sharing his gender transition story in 2011 and now writes and speaks about transgender experiences, recovery from addiction and mental ill health. I hope you enjoy this episode of Mentality Meets. No matter where you are on your mental health journey, you can find plenty of content and information about our resources at peterlarkham.com, including one of our mental health courses for you or your business. And if you want to spread the word, drop us a review on the podcast app and share this with your friends. 
Thanks again for joining us for Mentality Meets, conversations that explore mental health stories and strategies to help leaders like you change the culture of mental health in your workplace. Thank you.